We got some significant health news, big news on the health front from the U.S. today regarding the coronavirus. Dr. Tony Fauci, who is kind of the American face of the COVID crisis, saying that he is encouraged by the use of a drug called Remitisphere which is significantly shortening the recovery time for patients. Here's Global News Radio's Reggie Cicchini. An antiviral drug once used to treat Ebola has shown positive signs during trials at the U.S. National Institutes of Health. The data shows that remdesivir has a clear-cut significant positive effect in diminishing the time to recover. The drug is believed to be able to block the virus. 1,100 people took part in the study and recovery time dropped from 15 days to 11. We think it's really opening the door to the fact that we now have the capability of treating. The death rate was less significant. 8% of those who took the drug died versus 11% who were given a placebo. The FDA is expected to approve a fast-track grant for the drug to be used only in hospital and only for the sickest patients. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. All right, let's welcome in our medical expert, Dr. Lucas. He joins us now for more on this on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Lucas, good afternoon. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well, Jeff. How are you? I'm okay, thank you. Remdesivir, I hope I've got that right. These drugs are they are also hard, hard to pronounce. That's why you go to medical school. Uh, why is it that Dr. Fauci in the U.S. is so encouraged by this? Well, just like you heard off the top, I mean, when we hear that the recovery time goes down by 31% from 15 to 11 days, that is excellent. And then when we hear an improved mortality compared to placebo, um, from 11.6% to 8%, as, as we said off the top. I mean, that's very encouraging. In fact, the results are so positive, Jeff, that they stopped the study. In essence, it almost feels unethical to give placebo when we have evidence that shows that this drug remdesivir is working so well. So I think we're all very optimistic. And as you know, you know we heard about hydro, hydroxychloroquine from the president, and there weren't good studies that really... Uh, you know, shaped that or, you know, that we believed in the medical community that it worked. And finally, this is the first big trial where we've done it in multiple countries. We have over a thousand patients. This is very encouraging. And I think all of us have been anecdotally seeing this, that remdesivir works very well. And maybe I, I, I'll dare to say better than hydroxychloroquine, despite not being compared head to head. So I think this is just, we see it, we're happy. And we're eliminating the placebo arm in these trials, and we're trying to give people some hope. And now we have good scientific data in a randomized, controlled, placebo-based trial. That makes us very happy in the medical sphere. Okay, it's important to note that this drug is being used on just the sickest of patients right now, and it's available only through IV. Is that correct? That is correct. I mean, so initially, certain hospitals were granted kind of compassionate use. And, and I have had a few of my friends in local hospitals in Richmond Hill and in Oshawa uh, in the Ontario area who, who had this drug and, and they were giving it to the very early patients with COVID-19 and they were seeing benefits. But then after a while, the compassionate care use was all you know finished. And so at that point, you needed to be enrolled in a clinical trial to get it. And so, yes, we're doing this for the sickest of the sick, and I mean, I'm just, I'm very enthused by this as well. We still have a lot of work to do, but this is a very, very promising and positive first major trial study. Yeah. Just in layman's terms, Lucas, how exactly does this drug work? Does it break up the, the virus, kill the virus uh, inside the, the lungs? What exactly is going on inside the body with this? 
So it's so interesting, right? Because if you think about this, this drug was developed for Ebola, right? Like we think about that, well, Ebola is a virus. And now we have, you know, this drug, um, which is, you know, very different virus. Like, how does this work? How did someone even think like, oh, let's try this in COVID-19. But, you know, when, when we don't have a lot of options, we are trying HIV drugs, again, against a virus. So the concept here, when we have remdesivir, the concept of how it will work is that it is, as you say, in many ways, attacking a certain, and we call it RNA polymerase, it's responsible for replicating the virus. What it's doing is it's essentially decreasing the production of the virus, the replication of the virus. So it's going into our system, going into our bloodstream, and it's preventing the virus from multiplying and multiplying and multiplying. We're nipping it in the bud. And at that point, when the virus can't survive in high, high levels within the body, well, it can cause this you know, the insane, in many ways, inflammatory reaction throughout the entire body that shuts down all of our organs. All right. Important to note as well that remdesivir is doing that and it's uh, shortening the window of recovery, how long uh, it takes uh, the average person to recover, if indeed they can, from COVID-19. It does that. What it is not is a vaccine. Correct. Correct. I mean, so, but again, that's, that's important. If we can shorten the time that someone's in the hospital from 15 days to 11 days, well, that's four shorter days. Again, we're trying to promote not having our hospitals overran with too many patients. We're getting people out of the hospital, but it's not a vaccine. It's not a cure. It's not something we're giving to just anyone who doesn't have the infection. As you said, this is for the severe, severe cases, people in hospital um, who are really sick from the virus. Joined on the line by our medical expert, Dr. Lucas. Meantime, Lucas, out in BC, there's a mysterious case of a patient who has seemingly been hit twice twice by coronavirus, which is now casting some doubt on the theory that once you have it, you're immune. What can you tell us about this? Well, you know, there's a lot of back and forth about can you, um, can you get the infection a second time? What happens if you've cleared it? And, and can you develop antibodies? Will you develop antibodies? I've been pretty consistent when it comes to this. We all think that you can't get reinfected a second time. So what can happen? Like, let's think about this. So this, this person in British Columbia, who tested positive, was infected, then apparently cleared the virus. Well, let's break it down. The number one issue here is that the tests are not 100% accurate. I've mentioned before that the tests at best at the beginning were about 70% accurate, meaning 30% of people who are being tested were told they had potentially falsely negative results. That's jarring. That's scary to think about. And then the next question to think about is, if you do get the infection, if you do get this COVID-19, are you making antibodies? Now, the presumption and the assumption by all of us is that everyone is making antibodies, which will prevent you from getting it a second time. But when they've looked at it, some data out of China, interestingly, Jeff, there was about 5% of people who didn't develop antibodies after recovery. Now, we don't know. Maybe you know, they haven't developed them yet. They will develop them in a few weeks or a month. But there's some questions here we don't quite understand. But I think I want to reassure people, the chances of getting reinfected a second time in the short term appear very, very low. We can't say impossible, but appear very, very low. And everything else that we have been hearing, if you are still positive after a negative test, you are not contagious. This is out of South Korea. This is out of China. This is what we've heard consistently. So I think people should have some solace from that fact. Um, and yeah, that's what I would say.
Okay, when you mentioned the testing, is it possible that this patient in BC, when we thought that they recovered, maybe they still had sorry, some of the virus in them and the second test is a false positive then? Uh, it would be a false negative, correct. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, sorry, exactly yeah. It. So the second test, yeah, yeah, the second test would be falsely negative. They still have a fragment of the virus inside of them. And for whatever reason, maybe the test didn't pick it up. And then the third time is, you know, there's the false positive again. It's still picking up little fragments of the test and now they're showing that they're positive and they're not contagious so yes you're you're correct in saying it's a false positive potentially in that aspect if there is a still small tiny little remnant or fragment left over that's not the actual full virus it's maybe just like the tail end of the virus that you can't pass on to someone else that is correct all right also in bc lucas dr bonnie henry who's kind of the face of the virus are there much like dr fauci is in the u.s she is urging people to now go outside saying that you actually have a greater risk of catching the virus indoors than outdoors meantime here in toronto we are closing parks uh, just how risky is it being outdoors i you know the, the the data that we have it seems that being outdoors is not riskier than being indoors. Um, in fact, you would think that being indoors is worse. So I, I, I agree with that message. I think when we think of being outdoors, the things that we hear is that the virus can travel up to maybe four meters or 13 feet, which is double that six foot distance. We know from a good study that in normal conditions, it tends to live in the air for up to three hours. So these are the things that we know. But I think, you know, for my own sanity, I'm going outside to run. That gives me peace of mind. My father, I encourage him. He doesn't actually need encouragement, but he does his daily walks at a vigorous pace. I think people need to go and get physical activity. It's good for your mental health. It's good for the physical health as well. But again, I think we need to be, we need to underline a few things. If you do go outside, you still want to maintain that physical distance. You still want to be further away. You don't want to go where there's a bunch of people. Now that's a problem if you live downtown, right? Like there's, if we open up parks or if we open up the streets and everyone's walking, it's kind of hard to be six or 12 feet away from someone, but we need to be strategic in how we do this. We need to avoid the peak hours where there's a lot of people. So going up and down, the lakeshore promenade um, right by the lake, that's probably not a good idea if there's going to be a lot of people. So somehow we're going to have to be creative in how we do this, but I still do encourage people to go outside and get their exercise. I think there's a, a huge benefit to that as well. Yeah, physical exercise, as long as you incorporate physical distancing, there's a huge, huge benefit. Dr. Lucas, appreciate the time as always and the information. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jeff. Have a great day.